Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner. The Supreme Court has said it will decide if the states can stop Donald Trump from returning to the Oval Office. Here's Glenn with his January 6th anniversary podcast. So friends, today is a day of remembrance. Today is January 6th, 2024, and we know what happened three years ago on this date. And today, we're going to talk about whether the United States Supreme Court will give a man who launched an attack on the U.S. Capitol, will give a man who used violence, who urged his supporters to violence to try to stop the peaceful transfer of presidential power. Whether the Supreme Court will give a man who tried to overturn the expressed will of the American people, whether the Supreme Court will give a man who tried to bring an end to American democracy, whether they will give that man the green light to go back to the Oval Office, a green light to finish the job he started three years ago. As always, friends, let's start with the new reporting. Headline, Supreme Court says it will decide if Trump qualifies for Colorado ballot. And that Washington Post article begins, the Supreme Court said Friday it will decide whether former President Donald Trump's name can appear on primary election ballots, scheduling arguments just five weeks from now in a case that will have major impact on the year's presidential election. Colorado's top court disqualified the Republican frontrunner from the ballot last month, finding that he, Trump, engaged in an insurrection before and during the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. Similar arguments have been made to keep Trump off the ballot in other states. While some of those challenges have failed, including in Michigan and Minnesota, the efforts are still pending in Illinois, Oregon, Massachusetts, and elsewhere. Maine's top election official last month barred Trump from the ballot, an order that the former president has appealed in state court. Friday's announcement puts the justices in a pivotal and potentially uncomfortable position with echoes of the court's involvement in the 2000 election when its decision assured victory for George W. Bush polarized the nation and damaged the court's reputation as an independent institution. The court's brief order scheduled oral arguments for February 8 
and came on January 5th, a day before the third anniversary of the Capitol riot. And friends, there is the one paragraph Supreme Court order granting review of the Colorado case, the case that disqualified Donald Trump from the presidential ballot in that state. Certiorari granted. The petition for a writ of certiorari is granted. The case is set for oral argument on Thursday, February 8, 2024. And then the one paragraph order goes on to set out the briefing schedule. Now friends, what I'd like to do today is just sort of talk through how the Supreme Court might approach this issue, how the Supreme Court might decide this case. Now friends, first of all, I don't consider myself a constitutional law expert or a constitutional law scholar. At most, I've called myself a constitutional law nerd. You know, I've certainly read the constitutions many times over. I've certainly had to deal directly and intimately with a number of provisions in the Constitution as a career federal prosecutor, most directly the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, a little bit of the Eighth Amendment's prohibition against things like excessive bail and cruel and unusual punishment, maybe a smattering of First Amendment and Second Amendment law as those amendments intersect with the practice of criminal law. But listen, I am no Judge Ludig and I am no Professor Lawrence Tribe when it comes to being a true expert on the Constitution, but I like to think I know my way around the Constitution. So what I'd really like to do today, friends, as something of maybe a modified Team Justice Law School class, is just try to take a layman's approach to the question, you know, what might the Supreme Court do when it resolves this case, this big issue about whether Donald Trump, having engaged in insurrection, as found now by multiple courts and by at least one Secretary of State, and as found by all of us who saw what he did on and around January 6th, and are capable of critical thinking, are capable of fact-based assessments of evidence and information, he engaged in insurrection, plain and simple. Now, will the Supreme Court see it that way? An open question. But what I want to do is take on what I see as sort of three areas where I think the Supreme Court will probably wade into this issue and want to say something about these three areas or feel the need to say something about these three areas. Mind you, this is just one man's view of the issues that I think are presented that the Supreme Court will sort of have to address or want to address one way or another. So with that long run up, let's get into the three areas. The first one, I think the Supreme Court will likely want to talk about the definition of insurrection as that term is used in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Insurrectionists are disqualified from holding office. If they previously took an oath to support and defend the Constitution, 
They can't hold office again if they took that oath and they violated it by engaging in insurrection thereafter or giving aid and comfort to the insurrection, to the insurrectionists. So I have a feeling the Supreme Court will wanna say, okay, we are the ones who get to interpret the United States Constitution. And frankly, I believe the Supreme Court has a right for better or worse to interpret the language of the Constitution. And the language is plain, insurrectionists are disqualified from holding office in the future. And the reason I say the Supreme Court gets to interpret the Constitution for better or worse, we know they've done it for worse in recent years by, for example, revoking women's constitutionally protected privacy rights, their rights to make their own reproductive health decisions. So we have to live with, for better or worse, how the Supreme Court justices interpret the Constitution, at least those justices who end up in the majority opinion. So one, I think they're gonna talk about what the word insurrection means in the context of section three of the 14th Amendment. Two, they're probably going to wanna say something about this harebrained assertion that the office of the presidency is occupied by an officer of the federal government because Trump's attorneys have suggested you're not an officer of the United States government if you hold the office of the presidency. That's one that I think you know a third grader could probably pretty easily resolve. Yeah, you're an officer of the federal government if you hold the office of the presidency. And there is ample support for that conclusion. But I think that may be an issue that the Supreme Court will feel it needs to resolve or needs to discuss. And number three, I think perhaps the biggest question, the most interesting question, in some ways the most challenging question is, what process is due? In other words, how can the states go about disqualifying an insurrectionist from appearing on a ballot? Does Congress have to somehow be involved? Do the courts somehow have to be involved either with civil litigation or maybe with a criminal prosecution? Can a secretary of state make that decision to disqualify somebody because they engaged in insurrection, just as the Secretary of State up in Maine did, consistent with Maine election law. What process is due? What must the states do? Or what can the states do? Now, there's a whole lot to unpack on the process and procedures question. But let me try to lay something to rest right up front. I've heard people say, Donald Trump was denied due process. Well, nonsense. But there are a couple of things to unpack on the due process claim. First of all, the due process clause of the Constitution, found in the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, have to do primarily with criminal proceedings. What does the due process clause say? 
the government cannot deprive anybody of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. So that's why in the context of criminal prosecutions, criminal cases, when we're trying to take somebody's liberty by imprisoning them, or if it's a horrendous case, the ultimate penalty, the death penalty, capital punishment, you're trying to take their life, or maybe you're trying to take their money by way of fines, their property. The Constitution says there are certain due process guarantees that a person has if the government is trying to deprive them of life, liberty, or property. Friends, having your name placed on an election ballot has nothing to do with the government depriving somebody of life, liberty, or property. So the due process clause, for example, of the Fifth Amendment does not apply. So when people are forever carping about Donald Trump didn't enjoy his due process rights, he doesn't have the kind of due process rights he would have if he was being prosecuted. But let's be clear, process is important. So let's take on the topic of process. The states get to run their elections as they see fit. That is our constitutional construct. Each state has the authority to pass its own election laws, to promulgate its own election procedures. And no two states have opted to pass identical laws or promulgate identical procedures. So we have 50 elections, even in the setting of a federal election for the President of the United States, we have 50 separate state elections with all sorts of different rules and procedures. For example, I was looking through the list of qualifications for candidates who want to be on a presidential ballot in various states. In New Jersey, you have to get, I think, a thousand signatures on a petition in order to have your name included on a presidential primary ballot. In New Mexico, it's something like 18,479. I may have the precise number wrong, and I think that corresponds to some percentage of some population in New Mexico. But the fact is, the different states, the 50 states, have radically different rules for who is qualified to be on their ballot and who is not qualified to be on their ballot. So anybody who says, oh my goodness, this is a wildly inconsistent endeavor, qualifying and disqualifying candidates, exactly because the Constitution leaves that up to the states. The federal government does not have the right, the authority, the power to swoop in and tell the states, we want you to do it all one way. That would be a violation of the Constitution. If we weren't living in a post-irony world, I would probably talk about how when the Supreme Court revoked women's constitutional privacy rights to make their own reproductive health decisions, what did they say? It's a state issue. Each of the 50 states can make its own rules about you know, whether to put women in harm's way or whether to honor and respect their bodily autonomy and their reproductive health decisions. That's up to the 50 states. You can have 50 different laws as far as we're concerned, said the Supreme Court when they revoked women's privacy rights. 
So the same principle now holds true with respect to each state coming up with its own voting laws and procedures because that's our constitutional construct. So how does the fact that each state gets to make its own rules and laws and procedures play out in real terms? Well, look at what's going on across the nation in the sort of presidential primary ballot arena. You have, for example, the state of Michigan. The Michigan Secretary of State said, I don't have the lawful authority under Michigan state election laws to keep an insurrectionist off the Republican primary ballot. I just don't have that lawful authority. It's never been given to me. So if the Republican Party in Michigan wants to offer Donald Trump's name, even though he engaged in insurrection, I don't have the lawful authority to disqualify him, to keep him off the ballot. Ironically, I've come to learn that the Republican Party in Michigan could offer a 12-year-old, right? You have to be 35 to hold the office of the presidency. They could offer a 12-year-old, and the Michigan Secretary of State couldn't say, no, that person's not qualified. Why? Because under Michigan election law, the Secretary of State doesn't have that lawful authority. Similarly, out in California, it looks like they've made a decision that Donald Trump cannot be disqualified from the Republican primary ballot. There's no lawful mechanism out there. So he'll be on the ballot in Michigan and California and elsewhere, but he's been disqualified in some states. Why? Because those states have laws in place that say we can disqualify an insurrectionist from the primary ballot. In Colorado, they held a trial, an entire trial. Witnesses were called, fact witnesses, including people like Daniel Hodges. You remember the picture of the police officer whose head was being crushed in those doors as the insurrectionists tried to gain entry into the U.S. Capitol? That's Daniel Hodges. He testified in the trial in Colorado about defending the Capitol against the insurrection and the insurrectionists that day. Expert witnesses testified in the Colorado trial, and Judge Sarah Wallace reached a factual finding that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. That's a factual finding that was later affirmed by the Supreme Court in Colorado. That is part of what will now be reviewed by the Supreme Court. Put a pin in that. I want to circle back to it in a minute because I want to finish the sort of survey of what different states are doing. Maine, for example, Maine's election laws say that the Secretary of State, in this case, Shanna Bellows, the Secretary of State has the lawful authority and the duty to qualify or disqualify people from the primary ballot in the state of Maine. And she held the hearing, as is required under Maine law, and she found that Donald Trump indeed engaged in insurrection. So she was required by state law, by the oath of her office, to disqualify him from appearing on the Maine primary ballot. Now, the laws in Maine allow Donald Trump, the person who's been disqualified, to then bring that into the courts, right? Level a court challenge, and that's now working its way through the Maine state courts as the law provides. Each state is doing it the way its election laws 
provide. And that is, again, our constitutional construct. Coming up after the break, Glenn looks at what might happen when the Supreme Court makes a decision about the 14th Amendment. This is Justice Matters. Beowulf here with Justice Matters, and I am loving the warmer weather and the sunnier skies. It makes you want to get out and move and get healthy. And you can help yourself get healthy and meet your wellness goals with no prep, no mess meals from Factormeals.com. There's a whole menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat in a well-balanced way. What's my favorite? I love the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken with spicy cilantro cauliflower rice. So flavorful and healthy, too. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash glen50 and use code glen50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's glen50 at factormeals.com slash glenn 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factormeals.com slash glen50. Go there. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Will the Supreme Court affirm Colorado's ruling that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection? Glenn is predicting that will happen if they are honest brokers of the law. So what might the Supreme Court do with all this? Because there are 50 different procedures in place. Well, remember I said a minute ago, put a pin in the fact that in Colorado there was a trial with witnesses at which Donald Trump was represented. He had his full due process rights in the context of that civil proceeding, that lawsuit. He got to call witnesses. He got to make any arguments he wanted to make. He opted not to show up because he had better things to do. I think several days he was off golfing. But he had his due process rights in the context of that civil litigation honored, respected. And the judge made that factual finding. The evidence proves Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. Therefore, the Supreme Court in Colorado ultimately said he is disqualified. Those factual findings by the trial court judge in Colorado are entitled to great deference on appeal. Indeed, the way the appellate process works, once there are factual findings that have been made by a trial court, whether by a jury or by a judge, those factual findings will not be disturbed on appeal by an appellate court unless they are clearly erroneous or are completely without record support. 
In other words, there's no evidence, there's no testimony during the course of the trial that supports the factual findings. And of course, the findings of Judge Wallace in Colorado are imminently supported by the evidence that was presented during that trial. So, if the Supreme Court is an honest broker of the law, and I know, friends, the word if is doing some really heavy lifting in that sentence, but if the Supreme Court is an honest broker of the law, they should find themselves bound by the factual determination of the trial judge in Colorado as affirmed by the Supreme Court of Colorado in accordance with Colorado state law that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. And there seems to be every reason for the United States Supreme Court to therefore affirm the Colorado State Court and Supreme Court's conclusion that Donald Trump is disqualified under Colorado state law from having his name appear on the primary ballot in Colorado. And so friends, we've talked a lot about Colorado because it is the Colorado case that the Supreme Court is about to take up and decide. But just turning briefly back to Maine, will the Supreme Court ultimately say, because each state gets to set their own laws and their own procedures for qualifying and disqualifying candidates from election ballots, Will they defer to Maine's laws where the Secretary of State is empowered to make that decision after a hearing, which, as I previously mentioned, is now being challenged by Trump in the courts? I contend the Supreme Court should say, yes, there is no one national standard that we, the Supreme Court, are permitted to impose on the states. So as long as there is some process, it's not arbitrary, right, and capricious. It's not just willy-nilly. There's a process in place. Each of the 50 states has every right to put its own process in place, but as long as they are following the process that is authorized under the laws of the state, we're going to defer. We're not going to wade into it. Friends, I think I'm going to wind down our discussion here. I know I said we were going to make this uh, Team Justice Law School class. I feel like we need a whole Team Justice semester to kind of get through all of the possible issues confronting the Supreme Court. For example, you know, might they end up saying, hey, just a Secretary of State deciding isn't good enough. We don't think that's adequate protection, adequate safeguards. So we're going to require it to go through civil courts or we're gonna require a criminal conviction. There's no constitutional authority for that position, and hopefully the Supreme Court doesn't start to make stuff up out of whole cloth to do a solid for Donald Trump. I don't think they will. I think they wanna be rid of Donald Trump, quite frankly, because he's announced he'll be a dictator on day one, and if there's one thing a dictator has no use for, it is a Supreme Court. An inferior court is just fine. But Donald Trump, if he returns to the Oval Office, he will cut the legs out from under the Supreme Court so fast it will make their robes spin. So I don't think they're going to want to do anything to facilitate Donald Trump's return to the Oval Office. But 
could they say somebody has to be prosecuted in a criminal case and convicted of insurrection or rebellion before they can be disqualified from an election ballot? I sure hope not because there's no legal authority for that proposition, but there is a federal statute. There is a crime of insurrection or rebellion and part of the punishment for that crime in the event of conviction is the judge can sentence somebody to be banned from holding office again. Will the Supreme Court latch on to that and include it as part of their resolution of the case? Don't know. There are some who say that the 14th Amendment's disqualification of an insurrectionist is, quote, self-executing. What does that mean, right? It makes sense because the constitutional scholars who say that, and there are many, and they seem to know what they're talking about. They say, well, it's just like if somebody is not 35 years old, that's a self-executing disqualification. You can't be on the ballot. If you're not a natural born US citizen, it's a self-executing disqualification. You can't be on the ballot. If you engaged in insurrection, it is self-executing and you can't be on the ballot because you're prohibited from holding office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Like I say, friends, we could talk about this for hours and days and weeks. But here's what I want to finish up with. Right now, the United States Supreme Court has the opportunity to rid America of an insurrectionist president, to prevent an insurrectionist from retaking the reins of governmental power. And most importantly, they can do it by simply showing allegiance to the Constitution, by showing allegiance to the plain language, the words of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It boils down to 53 words, friends. This is all the Supreme Court needs to disqualify insurrectionist Trump from holding office again. No person shall hold any office under the United States who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution of the United States, who shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, the United States, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. 53 simple, straightforward words that, if applied by a Supreme Court that is an honest broker of the law, will result in the disqualification of Donald Trump from ever holding office again. And that is precisely what the Supreme Court should do. Because justice matters. But friends, give me one more minute because I want to add something else on today, January 6, 2024. You know, there are hundreds of men and women who fought like hell on January 6, 2021 so we the people would still have a country, so we could keep our republic. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the United States Capitol and everybody in it 
from the attack that was launched by Donald Trump. They defended Republicans and Democrats and independents and everybody else from the support staff to the cafeteria workers, the janitorial staff, the visitors, the family members, the men and women of law enforcement. You know, they were the ones who fought like hell so we could still have a democracy, so we could keep our republic. You know, people like Harry Dunn, Mike Fanone, Aquilino Gonell, and Daniel Hodges, Caroline Edwards, and I wish I had all of the names here, but there are some of those brave patriots, right, who defended our democracy. That's the best of public service right there, friends. That is the best of public service, and we honor them today, January 6th, and every day, because justice matters. Friends, as always, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again tomorrow. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters. Across California, school food professionals are using their skills to develop recipes that incorporate fresher ingredients and more scratch cooking. Learn how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.